Okay, current. Okay. <laughs> no, it's um. Yeah. So as Christians, um, this might be one of the most important weekends of our lives that we've ever seen, um, because uh, even here on this pulpit, we've always talked about the past of Israel, their history, uh, but it's literally unfolding before our very eyes right now. The same people of God in the same land of God. Um, the Bible is literally happening in front of our eyes. Um, and so <clears throat> something like this has never happened in Israel uh, for 50 years. So those of you who are 50 and above might remember the Yom Kippur Wars. But for many of us who, <laughs> who are younger than that, uh, we have only read about Israel's wars in the scriptures for the most part. And um, so th God never changes. Um, he is still walking with his people today, and still the nations decide whether they support or are against him. And God deals with nations consequently um, in that regard. <clears throat> um, what has happened in Israel um, is, oh gosh, I don't want to take Joseph's sermon, so I got to make sure I put a timer on this thing. Because um, there's so much to say about it. Um, so I'll talk a little bit faster. But what happened in Israel is equivalent much more exponentially to our Pearl Harbor and our 9-11, you know, times many times over. Um, this is not a normal war in that nations come against each other and they're vying for land or power or resource or whatever it may be. This is different than any other war because it's an enemy coming in that simply wants genocide simply wants the killing of a people group. This is why civilians are being attacked. It's not, not um, a side, you know, issue of like, oh, they were in the crosshairs. They are the ones that they want to eliminate. And so, um, you know, I was listening to a Jewish person say, you know, all of Israel is afraid right now. And I said, all of Israel is afraid. I've heard, I feel like I've read that in scripture so many times. And the response is always, is in God's heart should be the crying out to uh, Yeshua, the crying out to the Lord. And that's actually something that we want to pray for. We want to pray that they, they make that cry that their forefathers did cry when they were afraid. Um, and, and that's something I'm listening for, even in the narratives of the IDF to Netanyahu, you know, that, that cry of like, we are at the end of our strength and our might and our reliance on other nations. Um, but right now, you'll hear a lot of, of reliance on other nations, like, we will never again, you know, right now, here. And, and the Lord's walking with them in that process. <clears throat> um, but like, the, like I said, this is not a normal war. Um, as if you didn't read the news, uh, they came into the Gaza. Um, they came uh, up through Ashdod and even a little bit into Tel Aviv, the southern part of Israel, and uh, just slaughtering. Right now, there's uh, the last count, I think, is 750 people missing. And they've just discovered that they're actually Americans also taken hostage into the Gaza at this time. Um, but even from the get-go, um, you know, 750,000 missing, thousands injured. Um, Hamas is, the get-go, the objective was never to overtake Jerusalem. They knew, like even people in Israel know that they can't, Hamas cannot overtake Jerusalem. Um, although that they claimed that that was their freedom and their fight, but their main objective was to take hostages 
and they've always tried to take hostages. Um, but enough hostages to secure the release even of, of all the um, 7,000 some prisoners, terrorist prisoners in Israel. And so Hamas issued a statement, uh, just a bragging and, and prideful statement um, saying that they now have enough hostages um, to secure the release of all these people in Israel. Um, but in the very beginning, when I started hearing these texts, my, my own eyes was, I wasn't looking at Hamas um, so much as I was looking up at Hezbollah in the north. Um, and right now that is, uh, Hamas is very concerning. Like it's terrible what has happened with Hamas. Hamas does not have, and, and IDF knows this, all of Israel knows this, Hamas is like the hillbilly, you know, of the terrorists. They're, they're very disorganized. They're kind of like, um, you know, they have like 4,000 weapons and the, the missiles and they'll blow it all in one go, you know. Um, but up north, Hezbollah, that is um, where everyone is fearful of um, because both are supported by Iran. Um, but Iran's relationship with both is very different. Um, up north, Hezbollah is like, I was trying to explain it to Joseph this morning in text. I said, if you guys, I, I didn't know how to explain it except for like Lord of the Rings, right? Trying to use that analogy if you've seen the movies, but um, Hamas would be like, you know, the trolls. They're kind of loud, big, ugly, like just ugly and make a lot of noise um, if the doors are fighting the trolls. But Hezbollah would be like um, the goblins, you know, the goblin hordes. Like there's tons of them, you know, Hezbollah has been saving up weapons for many years. Um, they, whereas Hamas only had, you know, a few thousand. Hezbollah has maybe like over 100,000, you know, um, uh, missiles. And right now they're, they're all gathering in northern Israel, um, as is Syria at this point. And so I think like even um, all who understand the geopolitics of Israel right now are looking at the north to see if they will join this. Because if they do, <clears throat> the dominoes are just gonna fall very quickly at that point. Um, and so Hezbollah has already launched some missiles even this morning. You know, yesterday the commentators were saying, oh no, you know, Hezbollah looks pretty quiet, just some motorcyclists, nothing. Um, but now, this morning, it's just Hezbollah. Like Hezbollah is on the lips of every, every person um, because they are far more dangerous um, to, to cause damage and, and even possibly they have the weaponry to hit every part of Israel um, as well as um, in their boast and possibly um, to wipe out the nation um, of Syria and Hezbollah. But they are not as dangerous as if they join in, the likelihood then is, you know, that Iran may join in. And Iran would be like, in the Lord of the Rings analogy, not the goblins, but the, the orcs. They would be like, you know, the big dogs. Like, this is what Israel has always been afraid of, um, is Iran. And so that is kind of what is happening currently right now um, in Israel. Today is um, a, a particularly even more um, intensely sad day for Israel because all the names of the people who are missing will start to come out. And um, I was listening to somebody talk about how Israel is so small. And I want to share a map, if you guys will throw that up there. But Israel is so small, and there are so few of them, that uh, everybody kind of knows one another to some degree. Um, like they will either be related directly to them or, or they're friend of a friend. And so today, um, this is the size of Israel compared to Ohio. Um, 
But to, today, it's like not a single person in Israel will not be um, mourning in some way, shape, or form, not because of some distant person, but because of somebody that they know. And um, so, like, even as the nations are, are coming from the, the uh, west to the north, Syria is currently building up their, their military at the borders. Um, it's a very precarious time. Um, but something uh, kind of... To, to keep as well as your thoughts is that um, Israel for a while, uh, for these 50 years, felt very invincible. Everyone's talking about the Iron Dome and how they have the Iron Dome and it's fine, the rockets. Um, it caught them in a big surprise, uh, as a big surprise that they were attacked, not just by some big Hezbollah or anything, but by Hamas. Hamas, the hillbilly of the terrorists, were able to penetrate Israel um, much the shock of the intelligence community. Um, it kind of made them realize, like, we are no safer than we were 50 years ago when the Yom Kippur Wars happened. And, and so it's a humiliating and it's a humbling moment, and it's a moment where all of Israel is suddenly feeling vulnerable in a way that they've never felt in 50 years. The children who were born today always felt like they had the strongest security. Um, but realizing that their security now no longer lies in their own people and their own military, and they're trying to lean their security maybe on the nations today, but um, one day they will realize their security is only in God and God alone. Um, now, that's a humbling process. It's a painful, painful process to watch. Um, but in addition to that, not just Israel's realizing this, but the nations around them, the Arabic nations around them, they're watching their little brother, the one that they thought was totally unruly and incapable and powerless and kind of like idiotic, you know, like Hamas. Like they, they, they watched their little brother successfully attack Israel and now all the Arabic nations are cheering and licking their lips as they look at Israel because if, if he could do it, you know, what is our potential is what they are thinking of. Um, <clears throat> this, the world has not yet seen um, an Islamic caliphate, and I say this quite often if you've been around me, but the last one was the Ottoman Empire, to which many of us were not alive at that time, but, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, so some of you are younger than I thought, I guess, but, <laughs> um, so Islam is uh, very divided, just like the church is very divided. Um, but when we have a revival and when we read the word and then when we ally with Israel, we come together and, and love breaks out. Um, Islam is different. Um, Islam has been uh, fighting each other, divided. Um, but when they have a revival, when they come together, um, that's called the Islamic Caliphate. And every single one of them has been trying to vie for who's going to be the leader of the Islamic Caliphate. Uh, that's why Saudi Arabia hates Iran. Iran hates Turkey. Um, uh, Iran and, and, and uh, Saudi Arabia are the two most conservative of the um, Islamic nations right now. But um, of late, just like in America, where the denomination walls are starting to fall down, so is also the Islamic denomination walls are also crumbling. Um, and But bigger than that is that more than hating each other, um, is the question of whether they hate Israel more than each other. And um, the issue of Israel uh, has the potential to unify. And I'm not saying it's going to. I, I'm not a forecaster. 
But biblically speaking, um, you know, there is that hatred of Israel that can unify um, the Islamic people. Um, and it does not to say that Islam, everyone in Islam is evil or bad. There are many um, that the Lord is working in. Um, there are many um, wonderful, wonderful people um, in in Iran and all these nations, and the gospel is spreading swiftly. But the doctrine of Islam is demonic. I want to be very clear about that. Um, and um, it is increasingly, the fire of it is increasingly turning uh, hotter. Now, I, I want to say this last thought before I turn it back to Joseph. Um, there is some thought, um, arguably, even in, in Scripture, that as persecution increases for the Jewish people, that we are not exempt from that because we have tethered our faith and we have tethered our uh, religion on the Jewish king. Um, now, persecution in the future may possibly not just look like I follow Jesus because I, I love Jesus can look like LGBTQ movement, can look like pro-abortion, can look like tons of, tons of things. Um, but uh, there's a possibility that persecution in the future may actually look like standing with Israel. Um, and the Christians who stand with Israel, not because Israel's good or worthy or right, but simply we, because we believe in the promises of Israel. We believe in her king. And um, that the world hates that. Right? And that's always been true about persecution. Even persecution in China is not because you're Christian and you're good. It's always been because you have a king who threatens, um, that, who threatens the leadership of, of you know, the Communist Party, that you will follow him and you will want the purposes of him more than you would want the purposes of the Communist Party. And so um, as we start to watch this, I just want to encourage you guys. Um, I've told Becca and Joseph, like, look, I'm, I used to, I, I'm, I'm the first person that'll kind of like turn away when things get a little bit too graphic on Twitter and whatnot. Um, I've told myself, I'm trying to the best that I can not to turn away, not to turn away because um, as, you know, Hamas does what Hamas does, as all these nations do, and Hamas is actually ISIS, and that's another story, but they will um, actually try fear-mongering the videos and the photos of what they will do to these hostages is expected to come out. Um, but I will not turn away, not because um, I want to see these graphic things, but because I love the Jewish people, um, and I know that I want to stand with them and, and um, not look away from their suffering, but to walk with them and, and uh, to pray for them. And so, and that's the heart of God. So that's a little bit about what's happening, and, and we can definitely talk more at lunch. Yeah, absolutely. And any of us on the leadership would love to talk to you. Uh, if anybody has questions about things that are going on, as my sister gave it a great kind of overview of what's going on uh, just this past weekend that started, you know, it's been only about 24 hours. Um, and if you're you know, looking for sources or looking for things to, 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 um, to catch up on, uh, we, we can definitely send you some of those resources. It's not to look away, you know, not to look away. Um, and again, like my, I want to echo what my sister said. It's not because the, the Jewish people are perfect or that because they're really good or that we stand with them, but it's because of the promises in the word. In fact, I was even sharing a video with my sister yesterday. Um, you know, there's uh, one of the, the first place that 
Hamas attacked in Israel was actually a rave. It was a, it was a dance party, uh, like drugs, sex, alcohol, dance party. You actually see a video from it. There's this statue of Buddha and all these kind of like new age things. And the guy pans his video. And then out in the sky, you see invaders like coming on parachutes, like the, the Hamas invaders. It was like, it's like watching a video of like the Old Testament stories. It's like you see one side idol worship and then you see Philistine invasion on the other side. You, you can actually see we're seeing the Bible unfold, Bible stories unfold because of the jealousy of God for his people, jealousy of, his, of God for his people, for, his, for that land. Um, and so, yeah, so don't, let's not turn, turn our eyes away, but to actually look and, and to see and to, to let that stir our prayers. Um, along those, you know, along those lines of uh, of watching those things, you know, how many people were involved in the Isaiah sixty two fast just about five, five, six months ago? If you were involved with that that fast, amazing. Just to think about that time that we spent praying for Israel uh, at that la- at the last feast, and just the next feast now, Sukkot, at the end of it, we're seeing things break out. I mean, who knows that the power of prayer and what you're involved with? Those prayers mattered. Those prayers mattered, um, and, and God's calendar, we're looking at these feasts and seasons, and we're just one, one feast away, and we're already seeing things break out. So I just want that to be an encouragement to, to uh, all of us here as people of prayer, that our prayers are impactful and pray- our prayers are meaningful. Uh, so let that be an encouragement to continue diving into praying. Um, so again, I wanted to um, just start real briefly um, to talk about why we're, why we're praying for Israel. For those who may not have caught that vision yet, and hopefully that what we talk about here today will help stir that fire and that zeal to, to pray for Israel, stand with Israel, and to study these end times, the signs of the times. Like my sister said, we, we don't know. We're, we're not prognosticators. We're no prophets, okay? Um, but the flip side of that reasoning, you know, you often hear people say, well, because we can't know the seasons or times, we, we shouldn't study it, right? Who's heard that before? A lot of people have, right? And there's one verse that says, you know, we can't know the times and seasons. There's thousands of verses where Jesus says, please study it. Know it, all right? Don't be unprepared, all right? Parables upon parables, be prepared, okay? This idea of that we don't know the times and seasons is not an exhortation to not study the times. It's an exhortation to be humble about it and to have the right focus on it, not to focus on these abstract, you know, these are the, the dates of these dates, but to actually focus on the heart of it. What's God's heart for the end times, for his people, to focus our prayers rightly, um, that's the that's the purpose of that that verse. So it's not to dissuade us from studying the end times, but to help us to have the right heart of humility when we do so. So in the context of what you heard from the current events just now from from uh, my sister, uh, we really want to talk about the times again to to be prepared, as Paul said, that brothers and sisters we don't want to be uh, unaware. All right, and a disclaimer, you know, the things that we talk about here for, as as a leadership team, you know, end times theology. There's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of different debates out there. And, you know, we have dear brothers and sisters who may believe differently. It's not something where we're saying those people are, you know, cast off, don't talk to them, you know, cut off relationship. This is not a, a cut off fellowship uh, type of thing, okay? But that doesn't mean it's not important. And it doesn't mean that we don't think that this is uh, from the Bible and true, okay? So I want to have that heart of humility going forward to it, okay? So there may be people that disagree with some of the, uh, the things that we believe about the end times, um, but I'm hoping to convince and argue from the word that that's, this is what's going on and this is what's true, okay? And again, to have mercy and to have grace uh, and humility um, in, in talking with brothers and sisters who may disagree, okay? Uh, in fact, I was, we just, uh, some of you know, me and my mom were not here last week because we were on a cruise. Uh, I actually met a, a, a Christian guy on the cruise, and it was great. You know, he started talking to me because I was wearing a shirt that had something Christian on it. We, you know, hit it off and started talking, and um, we had great conversations uh, up to the point that he was like, 
uh, he was telling me a story actually on the plane on the plane ride to Boston. He was like, "Oh yeah, I was talking to this girl that was sitting next to me, and she was a Christian, but she said she hadn't been going to church, wasn't keeping her, you know, wasn't very active in her faith." And I was like, telling her, you know, like we could get raptured any moment, like from this plane, like we could we could not even land. You got to get serious about your faith, you know. I was like, "Oh yeah, like I mean, yo, it's really important." I was like, "But I, you know, I'm I'm not like." I'm not sure, I, I don't believe in imminency, but meaning like, I don't believe like any time rapture, like we're gonna go, he was just like, <gasps> and he spent the rest, he spent the rest of the cruise like hunting me down, trying to convince me about, uh, about imminency. Like we may not get off the boat, Joseph, like you could be raptured at any time, you know? And I was like, and I love, love this guy. He's a great guy, uh, enjoyed talking with him. And it was actually a blessing because we got to spend a lot of time just kind of like bouncing back and forth. And towards the end, he, he, he was very kind of like, you know, he, I think he opened his eyes a little bit to some different different things. All that to say, we made it off the cruise without being raptured. And even ye yesterday, I was thinking, I was like, I was going to text him this morning. It would have been kind of mean, but like, Peter, are you still here? Or did you get raptured? Like, uh, <laughs> that uh, would have been mean. But all that to say, <clears throat> all that to say, let's have grace. Uh, grace to those who may, may disagree with us, okay? Because, um, again, we don't want to break fellowship with brothers and sisters and believers. It's not something to, to break off fellowship about, okay, to have a hard humility about. So all, all that to say that, okay. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> uh, and, again, it's important. We should desire it. Another thing that he was arguing about, um, you know, with regards to tribulation, like we're seeing tribulation. Right? We're seeing it. You, if you watch the news, watch these videos anywhere online, you can see the, the terrible things that are happening. You see, you, uh, my sister sent me a heartbreaking video today of, um, of Hamas terrorists in a, a Jewish house, and these two kids are t asking about their sister. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I sometimes get caught up. <clears throat> but yeah, just imagine, like, wow, you know, the um, they're asking their parents where their sister is, and she's gone. You know, she's dead, and the terrorists that killed her is just right there. Their blood is on uh, her, the father's hands. So. <clears throat> So <laughs> don't turn your eyes away. Don't turn your eyes away. And even as hard as that is, the difficulty, you know, I was, uh, one of the arguments that I've heard against studying the end times is like, um, well, not studying against the end times, but like about uh, we're going to escape, right? We're going to get raptured. We're not going to face any of those things. That's for Jacob. That's Jacob's trouble alone. That's not the church's trouble. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and like my sister was saying, and hopefully as we go through these passages and argue, like, no, it's, it's, it's not, all right? Nobody in the church up to until the 1800s believed that we're not going to, to go through, through, through difficulty. That's a solely Western idea that we get to escape, yes, escape persecution, right? Like if you told the early church, like, hey, you're going to escape persecution, they're like, this persecution is our life. Like, the daily life of the early church was persecution. And it's just because our daily life is not persecution, but somehow this idea, this theology of, of escaping tribulation has crept into our mind. But for the church outside of America and for the historic church, that has never been the case. And people say, oh, like, how could God, you know, uh, you know, it's like God beating his bride. How could he allow, you know, Jesus allow the people that he loves to, to suffer persecution? It's like, read the Bible. He's done it over and over. And it is a witness to the world that we can still love, the, love God even despite trials and tribulations. All right. and, um, and to be able to look at those trials and tribulations and still say, yes, Lord, we'll walk through it with joy because of the joy set before us, right? And, and Jesus calls it the birth pains. He calls it the birth pains because the birth pains, even though they're hard, there's joy at the end, right? There's joy at the end. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's great to see Vic and Sharon here. I always pick on them for, for examples, but like if Sharon, Sharon just had a baby, a beautiful baby girl, Esther. If you told Sharon in her 40th week that, hey, Sharon, birth is really painful and it's really hard. Why don't we just delay it another 40, 40, uh, 40 weeks? Like what would Sharon say? She'd say, heck no, right? Like, I know that the birth is painful, but for the joy set before me, I'm going to walk through it because I know at the end of it that there, there's the one, I get to see the one that I love. And that's the message of the church. Jesus calls it birth pains because of that. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, there's going to be difficulty. But the beauty set before us is the Maranatha cry, that we get to see the one that we love at the end of it. Okay. <clears throat> so, the, uh, so, yeah, so having that in mind, let's jump into why pray for Israel. We, we've talked about that a little bit before, um, and since we have such a short amount of time here, I'm just going to try to, to go through it. But, um, but yeah, why pray for Israel? And, you know, as my sister mentioned, like, Israel is so divisive, right? So divisive. Like, even following Jesus, people, you know, can have lots of sort of different views uh, on, on both sides of, of, of the political spectrum, left and right. When you talk about Israel, even yesterday, it revealed a lot. People on the left and people on the right are like, have nothing to do with that. Have nothing to do with that. The left, left, you know, I saw a lot of my friends or people that I follow that are on the left are saying, Israel is the occupier. This is what they've got. They're, they're, they're receiving the, the just rewards of their, their wickedness. This is justice. And I mean, if you look at those videos of, uh, you know, people being, women being paraded, dead, their dead bodies being paraded naked on, in the streets in Gaza, if you can look at that and say that's a just reward for what Israel's done, I, I, I can't help you. You know, like that, that is not, right? But even, even more shocking on the right side, seeing people say, we have nothing to do with Israel. We have nothing to do with Israel. They're, they're, it's just like Ukraine, you know, like, we shouldn't be involved, you know, uh, we have nothing to do with that. You know, I, I, I have nothing here to say about Ukraine other than to say there's no Ukraine in the Bible, but there's thousands of chapters and thousands of verses about Israel, about Israel. Okay, so it's not the same. It's not, as my friend yesterday morning said, business as usual. All right, it, it's not. It's not. All right, and we can search the scriptures and see it clearly there. All right. <clears throat> so, um, so praying for Israel helps us to understand the storyline of God from the first First book of this Bible to the very end, it's a story about how God is using Israel to redeem the nations, right? We get to be part of what looks like the ending of the story, but reading the beginning to the end helps us understand and focus that it's not really about us, right? It's not really about us. It's about Jesus. The story of the Bible is about Jesus. Yes, there's parts where we can, you know, uh, we can conquer the Goliaths in our lives and, and things like that and help become, you know, more like Jesus. But really, the, the beauty of the, the whole overarching story is about Jesus, the coming king, right? And how he's going to redeem the world. And he's a Jewish king. He's a Jewish king. So praying for Israel helps us to, to remove that focus. That Remove that focus from, oh, like it's about the United States and how we can become a, you know, a better Christ-like nation. That's important, right? We want the U.S. to be a, a Christ-like nation of, and fear God. But really, the U.S. isn't in this book, right? The United States isn't in this book. Um, but Israel is. And that's part of that redemptive story that starts with the first covenant and ends in Revelation. All right, so that's the overarching story. So praying for Israel helps us keep our focus right in understanding the storyline. Um, I love this quote from David Slyker. He's a, t a teacher at IHOP. Um, and he says, uh, God told his friends that he would give them something. And his zeal to follow through on that promise, even as his friends come short and even break their promises, reveals God in a breathtaking and glorious way. From the beginnings of his relationship with Israel, the Lord told Israel that he would not cast them off forever, even though they would sin against him and he would have to punish their disobedience. All right? That's the story. That's the story of his relationship with Israel throughout the Old Testament and in the New. Okay? So again, praying for Israel helps us to understand and keep that right focus on the storyline. 
also that faithfulness. Like if we can look at God and say, oh, his faithfulness to the Jewish people through thick and thin, through up and down, through regardless of what they do, he's still faithful to them and be confident that he's faithful to us, right? We can be confident that he's faithful to us. Um, and, you know, it, it's easy to, to mistake that. And, and there's something called replacement theology or supersessionism, this idea that the church has completely replaced Israel. Uh, really, that idea, like, it, it comes about because of, of, of modern ideas, right, within the last couple hundred years. Um, and, and it's easy to see why you can make that mistake. I mean, just thinking about the timeline, like my sister talked about, 100 years ago, there wasn't even a country of Israel. So, of course, like, it's easy to spiritualize those promises in the Old Testament and say, oh, that's a spiritual promise for the church when there wasn't even a country of Israel. But, guys, we live in a unique time, in a unique time that there is a country of Israel, that God has done a miraculous thing and reestablished the Jewish people in their land, something that would have been unthinkable, you know, even 100 years ago. All right, so we can't just spiritualize those promises. Um, we, we have to look at them as literal because he is faithful to do them. All right, he is faithful to reestablish Israel and bring back the Jewish people, even those promises that he said that he would do. All right, so he's faithful to do them. Um, and again, because of that faithfulness to the Jewish people, we can be confident that he's faithful to us. You know, I think about it all the time, like in, in biblical counseling, like how many people you know, counsel somebody who's, who's going through sin and you know, sometimes, especially I think older guys, like if we counseling a younger guy who's struggling with like sexual sinners and it's over and over again, we tell him, hey, you know, God has grace to you. Keep fighting. You know, he's, he's, his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. But then like we, we believe that, right? Like his, his mercies are unending. He's going to be, you know, able to forgive over and over again. But then we look at it, some people look at Israel. It's like, nope, they messed up too much and, and they're done, right? They're done. It's like, that's not the same God, right? That's not the same, same message. Uh, that's not the same uh, attitude of mercy. His mercies are new every morning. He's not casting off the Jewish people. All right. So there's promises because he's faithful. We believe that he's faithful to us, and we believe he's faithful to the Jewish people. Not because of their qualifications and what good things that they've done. It's because of his character. Same thing that his, his faithfulness to us and his mercies to us is not because we're perfect. And we screw up over and over and over again, but he's still faithful to keep his promises to us. All right that same faithfulness. Next reason that we, we stand with Israel and pray for them is because is it's actually a command, this Israel mandate. It's all throughout scripture, and I don't have time to, to, to really un unpack them all, but you know, Psalm 122, 6 actually commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, this psalm, which is connected to David, that's our, that's our David connection for today, <laughs> going back to our, our study, but uh, this psalm, Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Let that, let that stir our hearts to continue to pray for Israel. This, this call that David writes in the Psalms to pray for Israel. And that's connected again to that covenant, the story that starts in the, the first, uh, first book of this Bible, Genesis 12.3. The covenant that God gives to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right? It's a covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. This is one of the first promises that God gives. And he's faithful to keep that promise, all right? So God asks us to pray for Jerusalem, not because they're good, not because the Jewish people are all on the right, um, but because he's asked us to do them because they're dear to his heart, all right? I mean, that's the next point of praying for Israel is because it's, it's God's heart, and it's what Jesus is praying for. He's praying for them, all right? He's praying for them to turn. Uh, the apostle Paul writes that he would give up his salvation for the Jewish people to turn. You know, that's the love that Paul has for the Jewish people that's in the scripture. That's a reflection of Jesus' heart for the Jewish people. His desire, zealous desire for the Jewish people to come to know him, to turn him. And he promises that they will. He's going to do it. All right. 
Um, in, uh, in Zechariah, God says this, uh, says, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. All right. He's going to do it. All right. He's going to do it. Now, those of us who travel to, to Israel, like that verse is like kind of shocking. He's like, you know, lots of places in Israel, not very holy, right? <laughs> not like the city of Rech. Tel Aviv is like one of the most uh, liberal. I mean, they have like the biggest LGBT pride parade uh, in, in the Middle East. Um, even that story I was just sharing, like the first place attacked, they were having this like rave, you know, in, in the middle of the desert. It's not because they're perfect people. It's because he's zealous for them, right? He's zealous for them. He's going to do it. Um, and lastly, the, the reason to pray for Israel is that their acceptance of Jesus uh, is going to bring about um, end times revival. And Jesus promises, he said, I'm not coming back until Jerusalem says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? He says, because that's his zeal. He wants the Jewish people to come to know him. Uh, he wants everybody to come to know him, but the special place in his heart as a Jewish man is for the Jewish people to come to know him. And he's promised that'll happen. Right? And in Romans, Paul says, if Israel's rejection of Christ is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Resurrection. That's it. Like, when they come to know Jesus, a resurrection, for, but life from the dead. Right? Wow, that promise. Um, so it's not business as usual for evangelism or, or gospel to the Jewish people. Um, Paul says that it's even more. It's, it's life from the dead. Um, Israel's acceptance of the Messiah will be used to catalyze the greatest spiritual awakening this planet has ever seen. Right? The world will be filled with the fruit of revival. It's a quote from Mike Bigel. Salvation of the Jews is tied to the completion of the Great Commission. Right? Um, you know, the, uh, some of us in the Asian community, if you go to China and, 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 and Taiwan and these places, believers, there's prophetic words that have been spoken about uh, back to Jerusalem. And back to Jerusalem is this movement in, in Asian uh, Christian circles, cross-denomination, like ecumenical. Everybody uh, is, is onto it, is that the idea that is the, as the Asian people bring the gospel finally back from all the way around the world, it's traveled, right? Like the gospel's traveled, uh, you, you know, you, Paul, like, has the, the, the uh, man from Macedonia, right? Paul's like, I'm going to go to Asia, and the Spirit's like, nope, you're going this way, right? You're going, you're going, uh, go west, young man, all right? So, like, he, the, the gospel goes that direction, right? It goes across Europe, America, now it's come back full circle around Asia. The Great Commission is coming. It's coming to a close. This, this, this burden this, uh, uh, of the, the, all of our forefathers in the faith for the last 2,000 years, we're living in a time where we may see, we may see the completion of it, you know? And the, and the Asian people have latched onto that, that belief and that promise and these prophetic words that the, that the Asian people will be the ones to finally bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. And they've done it. You know, I actually saw a video the other week, a, a, a Chinese evangelist, street preacher uh, in Jerusalem uh, getting rocks thrown at her by Orthodox Jews, like Jewish children, like Jewish children are like throwing little rocks at her at this like Chinese lady who speaks like half broken English, like trying to proclaim the word on the streets of Jerusalem. If that's not the completion of the Great Commission, I don't know what is. Chinese, uh, Chinese Christians getting persecuted in Jerusalem by Jewish people. I mean, come on, like, uh, you know, I, it, it's sad to see, but it's also like, wow, who would have thought? You told Paul, like a Chinese, uh, Paul wouldn't even know who a Chinese person was. But a Chinese person is going to be preaching the gospel in 2,000 years, uh, uh, to the Jewish people in Jerusalem, it'd be like, what are you talking about? Even a hundred years ago, people would have been, what are you talking about? All right, but we're seeing it right now in our midst. I, I saw a video of Chinese pilgrims out, out uh, in the streets of Jerusalem carrying a cross and just getting spit on. Um, 
And all that to say, again, you know, like the, the Jewish people aren't perfect, but we're called to love them and that the gospel would go forth to them. But let me tell you, like the Chinese, the Asian believers have, are, are, are on it. All right, they're on it. All right, and they're, 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 they're doing it, okay? So again, you know, there's going to be a great salvation and it's uh, the great end times revival. And it's going to start with the Jewish people saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, so we, we get to stand in that time that it could happen. And we think it is happening and I think it's going to happen. All right. Um, so again, Jesus prophesies, and this is Matthew 23. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 24. Um, but the last verse of 23 is that promise that Jesus says, I've longed to gather Jerusalem. Again, this is going back to that point I just made. We pray for Israel because that's what Jesus is praying for. It's on his heart. He loves Jerusalem. And he said, I've longed to gather you like a, like a hen gathers her chicks. She wouldn't. And I won't come back until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as people who love Jesus, we long for his return, right? We long for that blessed hope, the joy at the end of sorrows. Um, and so Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> and uh, I'm just going to read. 